So we've been doing a series. Uh, we just started it, and we're going to continue in it. And we're in First Timothy chapter one, and we're just doing a series on the pastoral letters of First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus. Um, very excited about it. And so tonight we find ourselves in First Timothy chapter one, verse eight, and uh, we will go um, through verse seventeen tonight. So I want to read right now one. 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. When is the law used improperly? When it's used to divide, when it's used to maliciously impose one's way, when it's used and wielded like a weapon in order to drive home a point. That's religion. That's not relationship. And that's what God desires with us. When it's used to manipulate. The law was not meant to give believers a list of commands for every occasion. But to show unbelievers their sin. And therefore lead them to God. To show those who don't believe their sin. So that they might be pointed to Jesus. So how does the law do this? So you've heard of the Ten Commandments. Child's play. Ten. Psh. Try 613. 613 Hebrew laws. Hebrews commandments that make up the law. 613. I've broken 37 of them the last five minutes. I just broke 17 more telling that joke. And now three more. And the law was this endless list of commandments that no one could keep. This endless list of do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. 613 of them. I'm not exaggerating. That was the law. This passage says that the law is not for believers. Why is that? Because Jesus hadn't given us a a do not or a do for every occasion. So how does the law, how do these 613 commandments lead sinners to God? By letting us see that none of us measure up to it. That none of us measure up to it. That none of us are capable of doing it. That was the standard of righteousness. How well can you do with these law? With these commandments? The law is there to demonstrate to us that none of us can do it. When we take inventory of our lives, our thoughts, our motives, our secrets, our past, 
All of these things lead us to one conclusion. We're not holy. We are not holy. In and of ourselves, there's things that we might perceive as good or as strengths. But looking at, do we measure up? Can we, can we keep the law? Could they keep the law? The answer was no. How does the law point us to God? Because it lets us know we don't measure up. It lets us know that we desperately need a Savior. That we desperately need someone who will declare us holy. And that was Jesus Christ. By the work of Jesus Christ, He made that declaration over our lives. Holy. Worthy. Pure. Forgiven. We need a Savior, a Healer, a Deliverer. We need the only one that can make us holy, and that's Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 21-28 says this, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This passage in Galatians, uh, we'll come back to it again in this series. This is a powerful confirmation of, of what we'll study later. I want to read, I read at the beginning the first part of 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11, where it gives this list of sins. I want to read that again, but I want to go a little bit further. I want to read the verses that come immediately after it. So let's read that again. 1 Timothy 1, 8. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer.
a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I will show mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. When is the list of commandments known here as the law used correctly? When it reminds us of our need for a Savior. When it points us to Jesus. Of the, Paul, of the sins that Paul listed, which did Paul say were the worst? He listed murderers and liars and those that are sexually immoral. Which of the sins did Paul say were the worst? He said mine. He said my sins were the worst. He said I was the worst of sinners. We look at this passage and we look at it. Paul being a finger pointer, he's going, no. He lists these these crimes and things that we, you know, some of these things are horrific. I mean, kidnapping, it's, it's talking about slave trading. But yet he says, my sins. I was the worst of sinners. And Jesus did this for me. He considered me worthy of his limitless grace. We read this passage and we stop short. Friends, when we run to Jesus and we say, my sins are the worst. Yeah, Lord, I... See, we get, we get caught up in measuring ourselves. I'm not as bad as that guy and I'm not as bad as that gal. But when we come to Him and we say it was my sins, it was your sins, it was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross, none others. Not the, not the really bad people we think of. Our sins nailed Jesus to the cross. Jesus had to die, His blood washing over our sins because of my sin. What sin is that? I don't know, lying? gossip judging people being holier than thou stealing lusting being sexually immoral killing mothers and fathers group them all together friends they all nailed Jesus to the cross and Paul says mine were the worst mine were the worst here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would what? Believe in him and receive eternal life. Believe and receive.